Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins, with another great episode this week as I inch one step closer to 100 episodes. As always, thank you for listening and for sharing episodes there in your school. I hope that we continue to share the conversation about how we can reimagine schools and create better opportunities for kids in our classrooms. This week, I'm excited to bring you my recent conversation with Mike Rutherford. Mike is a former high school chemistry teacher, coach, and middle school principal who now leads professional development on high-performance teaching and learning, leadership development, and how to create and lead team-based organizations as the founder of the Rutherford Learning Group. In addition to his work as a consultant, Mike is also a popular speaker and author of one of my favorite books, The Artisan Teacher. So be sure to check out the website at rutherfordlg.com. You also can follow Mike on Twitter at RLGMike. This is a good one, folks. In this episode, Mike Rutherford provides so many great ideas on how principals can truly become instructional leaders and coach teachers to become more skillful in the classroom. You might even want to grab a notepad and a pen as this episode is chocked full of great ideas to help teachers improve the art and science of classroom teaching. But before we roll out this episode, I have one quick favor to ask all of our listeners out there in podcast land. If you're listening to this episode, please jump over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and comment so we can expand our reach and bring in even more new listeners to the Reimagined Schools podcast. It takes just five minutes to leave a rating, so please help lift up the podcast and let people know why they should subscribe and listen to the amazing conversations we have each week here on the podcast. So with that, let's jump into this week's episode. My conversation with Mike Rutherford begins right after this quick promo from the Education Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Adam Guys. I'm David Lurch. We're hosts of the EdTech Distilled Podcast, which is a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello again, folks. We are back in the saddle for another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm delighted to bring in another great guest this week. He is an author, a popular speaker, an educational consultant who specializes in high-performance teaching, teaching and learning and leadership development. A big welcome to Mike Rutherford. How are you, Mike? Hey, Dr. Goins. I'm great. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's an honor to be on the podcast. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. I've been a big fan of your work for a long time. You, you do some amazing work and uh, really want to dive into this idea of classroom observation and the benefits for both the teacher and the, the evaluator, the building principal or, or the administrator spending time in classrooms and really having a sharper vision of what that looks like. So uh, before we jump into that, though, um, you have a, a tremendous background in, in education former uh, teacher, coach, middle school principal. And I guess the first place to start is over your many years of working uh, both in schools and doing consulting work, how has your thought process changed about the role of the classroom teacher? Oh, gosh, thanks. Um, well, you know, uh, I think all of us, myself included, you know, when we have an opportunity to uh, step back from the actual work of school leadership. And uh, I did that 
full-time in 1998 and uh, created our consultancy, Rutherford Learning Group, and really began serving and studying teachers and administrators and trying to figure out ways to add value to them. Uh, I, I guess the thing I would say is that uh, not so much what has changed in my thinking, but one thing has surely been reinforced, and that is that you just can't replace great teaching. Uh, maybe somewhere down the road, uh, you know, we'll have some sort of a technological mind meld where we can put electrodes on kids' brains and transmit the, the Kentucky standards directly in there, you know, without having an intermediary. I don't see that coming anytime soon. And until that time comes, the skillfulness of the adult professional that is designing instruction and facilitating it and interacting with kids, uh, you know, we just have so much evidence to suggest that's the highest effect size variable that there is out there. And so if we kind of operate from that basic truth, you know, that skillful teaching is the prime mover of, of, a, of a, a young person's uh, excellent education, then that sort of redoubles the importance of school administrators. You know, our job is to create the conditions that attract great teachers, that retain them, and that uh, and our ability to develop them and help them to reach their potential uh, are all pretty high effect size skills just because of that first truth that skillful teaching really does drive student success. And you know, I think most educators would agree that timely and relevant feedback is the key to teacher improvement. And so we spend a lot of time talking about that, trying to figure out what that looks like. But I think the disconnect is a lot of people don't know how to do that or what that looks like. And if I ask 10 different principals to talk with me about how they go about uh, teacher improvement, I'm going to get 10 very different answers. Uh, I think you're right. Absolutely. And uh, I think, uh, you know, just just an opinion, I guess, just from working with you know, many school administrators, I think every school principal, every school leader wants to be an instructional leader. You know, we all want to be knowledgeable about the core business of teaching and learning. We want our faculties to to believe that we are credible agents. You know, when we come into a classroom that we know what good teaching looks like, we can talk about it, we can, we can make suggestions, we can give feedback. Obviously, there's a million other things that go into being a school administrator that are more management related. But, you know, the, the, going back to that first truth, we know that really great teachers are attracted to schools and districts where the uh, administrators that lead that school uh, have strong credibility as instructional agents. Um, great teachers want to work in places where the leadership knows what great teaching looks like. So I think we all want to do that. I think it's, uh, it's uh, once you become an administrator, it's a battle of time, isn't it? You know, there's so much to do and so little time to do it. And so developing your skills it just is time intensive. And boy, once you become an assistant principal or a principal, you know, you're just out of time, right? So uh, I think that's the main issue. And, you know, I've, I've had the good fortune to talk with a lot of experts and great people here on the podcast. And one of, one of my favorite guys to talk to is Todd Whitaker, who I'm sure you know well. 
And a couple of things Todd has, has said in the course of our conversations that have really stuck with me is the first thing he tells me is there are only two ways to improve a school, either hire great teachers or improve the ones you have. And then the other thing that he said that really resonated with me is there are teachers in every building across America that have cracked the code to become excellent teachers. And so I guess my question for you is, why do some teachers crack the code why others don't what is it about becoming more skillful that those excellent teachers have figured out where the others are still kind of struggling with yeah gosh great question um i'll probably have to beat around the bush a little bit as i think about that um you know one of the things i think that makes a difference is that great teachers approach their craft as a craft you know, call it pedagogy, call it instructional design. You know, it's the craft skills of teaching. They see themselves as, uh, well, I've, I've enjoyed calling them artisans. You know, uh, there's technique involved, there's art involved, there's science involved. And so I think that really excellent teachers that see themselves as uh, technicians, but also as artists, um, and their role is to be creative and innovative. Um, once you start improving as a teacher, um, that's a meaningful process and you kind of get hooked on it and you, you sort of say, gosh, I'm going to be getting older anyway. I might as well be getting better while I'm getting older because that's so much more fun and it's so much more rewarding. Of course, the big plus we have in education is the meaningfulness of the work itself. I mean, you know, watching a third grader uh, go from having no idea what inference is to being able to provide excellent examples of inference in 30 minutes. I mean, that's kind of a gas, you know, to be able to do that. And, and so there's so many of those good intrinsic rewards uh, for teachers as well. And then if I could just add one more thing, uh, it would be that it's pretty hard to develop yourself as a teacher by yourself. Sure, you can be reflective, and sure, you can be collaborative and you can have a great PLC. But since your brain is so 100% occupied with teaching while you're in the act of teaching, it's helpful to have another set of eyes that can come in and that you trust, that you don't feel like they're, that other set of eyes is critiquing you or judging you or evaluating you or supervising you, but you're pretty sure that they're there to support you and to give you that extra insight and vision that only an outside observer can, can provide. There's really only what so far you can go as a teacher in giving yourself feedback. You're just not in a position to be able to do that because, well, you're living inside the brain and body of the teacher who's 100% uh, engaged in the lesson, you know, from that perspective. You know, my background is as a former school district superintendent. I've been a principal. I work in a higher education and leadership program. So I'm working with aspiring leaders. The number one question I think that I've gotten the most about observation from aspiring principals or either sitting principals is what is it I should be looking for? And you, you use a great analogy in um, you, you gave a keynote at the Sam's conference in Florida about a year ago. That's on YouTube. So Folks, if you get a chance, you want to jump on and just search for Mike Rutherford and you'll you'll find that keynote. It's fantastic. But you were you were talking about uh, uh, telling a story. Two people can be in the same car driving across country 
And if, if, if you and I are together, you know, Bonnie and Clyde situation, you're going to see <laughs> things, you're going to see things on the side of the road differently than I am. So I think the example you gave was you're a coffee drinker. So you're going to look for all the coffee shops. Uh, I'm an avid golfer and I love wildlife. So maybe I'm looking for golf courses and deer, but it's, it's amazing to me how uh, we, you and I could both go into a classroom for observation purposes and probably come out with two different perspectives. Uh, that's such a good insight. You're, you're right. And absolutely true. And it doesn't mean that you're right and I'm wrong or the other way around. It means that as an observer, of a classroom, I think we do well to remember that we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. So I, when I'm watching a teacher in the middle of a lesson, I'm processing that through my experiences in teaching and observing lessons. You're right next to me and you're processing the exact same visual field, but through a different mind that's had different experiences. And, you know, and so it, it's it's funny, I think, we think we should be seeing the same thing. But in truth, unless we were identical twins and we uh, lived, you know, co-joined lives, you know, for all of our life, there's really no way we're going to see things the same way. You're familiar, of course, with all the research evidence that shows if you show any number of school administrators a video of some teacher in the middle of instruction, their uh, reaction to that video will be all over the place. Some will say, gosh, that's a teacher of the year candidate. And others would think, gosh, they need to take some employment action against that teacher. And we're, you know, we're, we try to build inter-rater reliability. And in fact, I think in a lot of cases, that's, that's impossible, given the fact that we all have such different experiences. So because of that, you know, Dr. Goins, I think that it's important that we have when we go into classrooms, a little intellectual humility. And I think we should remind ourselves that, you know, I'm seeing this teacher's work and practice and craft through my own eyes, connected to my own brain. I have my own biases. I have my own experiences. I have my own uh, preferences. And if I start to think that I'm seeing it as it actually is, I probably need but myself a little reality check and say, uh, I'm seeing one version of it. You know, I think one of the, the misconceptions that a lot of new principals have when it comes to observation is a lot of times they think they have to go and spend 30 minutes to 45 minutes sitting in the back of the classroom with a notepad and an iPad, taking all these notes. And when I was a principal, and even when I was a superintendent, I like to make really quick what I called pulse checks. You know, I, I never spent more than 10 or 15 minutes in a classroom. And a lot of times I didn't even take anything to write with. I just wanted to go in and make eye contact with the teacher, say hi to the kids, be part of what's happening in the classroom. Just if nothing more to show the teacher that I'm here to support them in their work, I'm here to answer any questions and I have an interest in what they're doing. So I, I think sometimes there, there really is this myth that, it has to be this labor-intensive experience that's going to take all your time and energy uh, with your notepad. I think those are two really good techniques to share with, uh, with anyone who does classroom observations as a part of their job. Yeah, so both of what you just said. Number one is you, you can get a lot of information out of a relatively short observation if you're not trying to always see what's not there. 
right? So if I'm if I'm evaluating a teacher and I go in for any 20 minute or 25 minute segment of time, I'm not going to see every bit of that teacher's repertoire. There are going to be things that that I don't see because in any 20 minute segment of time, they just don't exist. But instead of looking for what's not there, if we can condition our brain to look for what is there, you can see what is there in a relatively short period of time. I, I mean, I don't even know that there is enough time in the day to absolutely guarantee a teacher that, gosh, I've watched every waking moment of your practice and I'm pretty sure this is missing. So let's talk about that. Uh, yeah, that's a never-ending quest to try to see what isn't there. Um, and then I also really like your suggestion uh, about notes. Um, you just can't take notes and pay attention at the same time. The human brain isn't built that way. You can go back and forth between the two really quickly. But uh, it's better to, when you're in a classroom, to observe what's going on instead of preoccupying yourself with trying to write down what's going on. I think that keeps your brain uh, more engaged. If you want to jot down a few ideas after you leave, uh, surely we all have enough memory span. We can do that, you know, step out in the hallway, write down three or four things. You also look a lot less critical and evaluative and supervisory when you're not scribbling things on a clipboard when you're inside a classroom. And that's bound to create a little more trust with the teacher as well. You know, you're a former coach. Uh, I have a coaching background, and I, I like to think of the principal as a coach, a coach in the building, coach in the classroom. And, you know, we just had the national championship basketball game last night. Kansas beat North Carolina, and Kansas was losing by, I think, 14 points at halftime. And so Bill Self, the head coach, obviously goes in the locker room, probably throws a fit, but they make adjustments. And they come out and they win the game. And I, I often think about the principal as a coach making adjustments in real time. I, I think another big problem that a lot of people have is the duration of time in which they give actual feedback. So, you know, if you're going to make a, a walkthrough or you're going to do an observation, it, it's really kind of pointless in my mind to come back three weeks later and give feedback. Why can't we have more of a halftime mentality and give those teachers feedback as quickly as we can so they can make adjustments, maybe not even for the next period, but for the next day. <laughs> well, first of all, I like how you slyly worked in that North Carolina lost the national championship game, knowing that I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. So uh, uh, that's pretty good. Uh, but to your point, uh, absolutely. You know, I, I think one of the things, uh, Dr. Goins, that happens is we get our job titles, responsibilities mixed up. Every school principal is responsible for at least these three things, teacher evaluation, employee supervision, and the growth and development of our staff. And those are similar, you know, the Venn diagram of all three of those would overlap certainly. But, uh, you know, the notion of spending time actually observing for the purpose of giving quick hitting, right, halftime type feedback to teachers. I mean, we've measured this and that has such higher effect size than evaluating a teacher well, which actually has very little, if any, effect size, even if we do it perfectly. Um, and so employee supervision has to be done. Teacher evaluation has to be done. It's required by law. We need to do it skillfully and credibly and transparently. But let's not be confused as to what causes growth and development. It's, it's 
to your point, quick, specific, immediate, quality feedback and coaching that develops skills, not uh, not putting the right check in the rubric for a teacher evaluation instrument or supervising uh, you know teachers more skillfully. It's the feedback and coaching part. You know, if we could. Um, just nerd out a little bit just while we're talking about feedback and coaching and strategies you know just a couple of things that your listeners might want to just you know we've already uh talked about a few good ideas keep it short don't don't distract yourself by having to take notes when you're in the classroom um just a couple of other good strategies if i might share are um number one would be uh it's called observe both field and ground so field is big picture and ground is details. It's kind of like the analogy of a wide-angle lens that you would use to take a team picture and a telephoto lens that you would use to take a close-up of a flower or, a, or a, an insect or something small. And instead of observing for one or the other, I think if you're going to spend 12 minutes in a classroom to view that as an opportunity to do two or three rotations between big picture and details. Look at the gestalt of the classroom, the big picture. Then pick something that's of interest to you and go small. And then cycle back to big and then cycle back to small. I think sometimes we, we learn more that way and we're more valuable to teachers if we'll think about observing uh, both field and ground. One other quick technique I might share is during the first 90 seconds when we enter a classroom, we have a unique opportunity to see the big picture. Once you've been in a classroom for a minute or two, you've become a part of it. And so it's a little harder to see, you know, uh, how the classroom existed without you in it. It's kind of like the windows open in that first couple of minutes to see the information flow, to see the climate of the classroom, to, to see some of the norms the teacher has established to look at the energy level, to look at these big picture issues. After a couple of minutes, I think the window closes and that's when we can turn our attention to some of the details. So field and ground, field at the beginning, ground uh, a, little bit, uh, a little bit later. And then um, one of the other things I think that's important is uh, just the uh, idea of interrupting teaching. I think we worry about that a little too much. I think when we come into a classroom, certainly let's not overturn tables or cause a ruckus that we don't need to. But the truth is, any time a school administrator goes into a classroom, that classroom has been well interrupted. And so really it's, what are we going to pay the teacher back with since we've interrupted the lesson by entering? So instead of keeping your back against the wall and trying to minimize your presence, I think we do well to just tell ourselves we've already we are, we are a part of the action. We're changing the action because we're in here. So let's make sure it's worth it. Let's get some good information we can share back with, uh, with teachers. That's certainly not a, a total list, but those are just some of the techniques I think that, uh, you know, administrators who are really interested in upping their game in instructional leadership, classroom observation, teacher feedback, teacher development, teacher coaching, those are a few ideas on observations that can help us to, hey, be a little more dangerous and valuable uh, as classroom observers. And that's all great advice. And you have some wonderful principles to have a sharper focus on 
classroom observation. And one of the things I heard you talk about was, and I did this myself as, as a principal, you know, you walk in and you know, you're going to disrupt everybody and you just smile and say hello and try to sneak off into the corner and do the best you can to fly under the radar. But I can't tell you how many times I've told the teacher, you know, don't mind me. I'm just going to be a fly on the wall. And, and one of the things I heard you say in, uh, in the keynote uh, recently was uh, the teacher's going to stop and look at you uh, every 20 seconds. So you are a disruption and you just have to accept that fact and just kind of roll with it. Yeah, I, I've said that so many times uh, also. Hey, don't worry about me. And of course, now that we look back on that, we both recognize that that's impossible. There's no way a teacher cannot pay attention to uh, a school principal when they enter the classroom. Uh, so, so we're asking them to do something that's, uh, that's impossible, uh, first of all. And then, you know, the other thing to remember, I think, is that when a school administrator enters a classroom, we change it. And so we're really never seeing the classroom from a pristine perspective as it existed before we walked in. Kids change what they do a little bit when we're there. Teachers can't help but change a little bit of what they do. And, uh, and you're right. So we should have some humility and say, I'm, not only have I interrupted this classroom, I have actually changed it by being here. So let me keep that in mind as I'm observing and trying to gather, uh, you know, gather information and data. Since we can't really talk to teachers uh, much while they're teaching, you know, you're absolutely right on that point. They sneak a peek at us about every 20 seconds. And what they're looking for is a little nonverbal communication that, hey, things are going okay. So I think we do well to, uh, what, uh, perk up and uh, don't cross our arms and cross our legs and look like we're here from the government to check on whether everything's running well. Um, be engaged, uh, lean in, have good posture, smile. Uh, I think we've all learned how to smile even behind a mask so that people can tell that we're, uh, we're engaged a little bit. Uh, that keeps the teacher on track. Uh, if the teacher thinks we're feeling a little uh, supervisory, then they can start to, uh, their brain track can kind of go downhill as well. And none of that's good for, for student learning. And obviously building trust with teachers in your building is a, a big piece of this. And uh, to be able to come in and, and create a culture where the teacher knows that it's not a gotcha situation. I'm not here to, uh, you know, provide punitive marks on your evaluation or whatever the case may be. I mean, that, that has to be, uh, you know, at the, at the forefront of any observation visit. You're there to help someone, not there to, to punish someone. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, uh, as you pointed out before, the effect size of evaluating teachers and supervising them is really pretty low anyway. They just don't improve much. All we can do is get that right. If we don't get that right, um, you know, it can cause problems. But it's one of those things that, you know, not to throw in a, an outlier here at the end, but uh, Fred Hertzberg, the management consultant, uh, you know, uh, was famous for his uh, idea of hygiene factors. He said there's some things in leadership that make people sick, but you can't use them to make yourself well. And employee evaluation is one of those things. If you don't do it well, um, that can really mess up the culture of the place and the trust that exists between people. But you can't do teacher evaluation so well 
that it adds to the culture or it makes people want to go there. I mean, I can't even imagine a teacher saying, yeah, I think I'm going to transfer over to Dr. Goins' school. I've heard he does really great teacher evaluations over there. I mean, that just doesn't seem like something, you know, someone would say. So, uh, you know, the hygiene idea is if you wash your hands, you can keep from getting sick, right? The flu. Um, but you can't wash your hands to train yourself to be a triathlete or to get in better shape. You know, it's, it's the type of thing that can keep you from getting sick, but it doesn't make you well. I always thought that was a good piece of uh, Fred Hertzberg's uh, work. You know, his uh, article um, titled, One More Time, How Do You Motivate Employees, is the number one most requested reprint in the history of the Harvard Business Review. So it's really worth a look. If uh, It's succinct. It talks about the difference between true motivators and these things he called hygiene factors. Um, if your audience wanted to add a little something, you know, from the past that would, that's still relevant, that's a nice article. You know, we, we started the conversation kind of sharing some ideas about how the role of the teacher has changed. And obviously, uh, there's a lot of conversation, and there should be, around deeper learning strategies, uh, classrooms, you see more project-based learning, uh, those kind of things. And as you think about making a shift to a more student-centered classroom, I always use the, the example as if, if I walk into a classroom and close my eyes and listen carefully, you know, what voices do I hear the most? Is it the classroom teacher or is it the students? Well, in a student-centered classroom, in my opinion, you should hear little voices more than you hear, hear big voices. So with that said, um, I do think the, the role of the teacher has changed. And I, I don't want to call it a more passive role, but I think they're going to be doing less actual direct instruction and more walking around, working with individual kids and in small groups. So in terms of observation, uh, in thinking about, you know, maybe we should spend more time watching what the kids are doing in small groups and, you know, how the teachers engaged in more one-on-one -on -one type activities. You know, just kind of what are your thoughts on that in general? Oh, I would agree 100%. And uh, so we want our feedback to mirror our best understanding of what effective teaching is. And, of course, teaching is, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an art. It's a science. Um, there are times when a little direct instruction is just what the class needs. Emphasize maybe the word little. Um, you know, it's a, it makes a good contrast. So I think as we give feedback to teachers, you know, uh, we can signal, you know, what we think is the direction that we want people to develop by the kind of feedback we're giving. You know, if you were to say to me, Mike, I was in your classroom the other day and I noticed that after a, a relatively short period of just kind of information transfer, you, you got students into, into, uh, heterogeneous teams, and they were really working hard and collaborating with one another, and it was a nice buzz in the classroom, and kids were active, and it just seemed like that was such a productive time. That's pretty good feedback, right? That tells me that as an observer, you know, you're watching what the students are doing. What's the energy level in the classroom? Um, you know, I, I agree with you, that old saying, the person who does the most uh, work in the classroom is the person who's doing the most learning. So if at the end of the day the teachers are uh, exhausted and the students are can't wait to go home, then maybe maybe we need to adjust our paradigm a little bit. But feedback can be an excellent way 
to help teachers to to what navigate that transition, right? Uh, what we what we provide feedback uh, on to teachers is not only we think effective feedback; it's also a signal. What does the principal see as most important? You can't give feedback on everything, so what do you choose to give feedback on? Um, I think we should do that intentionally, and uh, you know, grab some of the um, what some of the organizational power that we have in choosing feedback topics. It can make a big difference. Well, it's been a great conversation. I could talk with you all day about this. I, I love, oh, likewise. I love, yeah. I love these kind of topics and uh, you want to be sure to follow Mike on his Twitter feed at RLG Mike, uh, go to the website, rutherfordlg.com for Rutherford learning group. And so as we kind of wrap up the conversation, Mike, um, you know, those, those folks out there listening, principals, superintendents, central office personnel, anyone that's kind of engaged in this role as an observer, you know, what are some closing thoughts you have for them as to how they can improve their practice? Oh, gosh, thanks. And thanks for having me on. What a, the time went by, it flew by as far as I'm concerned. And when I go back and listen to it, I hope, I hope it made, uh, hope it made sense. You made it very easy. Uh, so thanks for the great, for the great hosting. You know, I think one thing I would share in closure is that one of the things we know from systems science is that you don't have to impact every single part of the system to impact the system. So I think sometimes we, I'm a principal, I've got to have a school of 38 teachers or 42 or whatever. If it's more than three, it's an unmanageable number. And and so I think, how can I give feedback and coaching to that many people? And I get discouraged. And I think, well, why should I even try? There's no way I'm going to be able to do all of that. And I think I'd like for us all to remember that if we give quality feedback and coaching to a single teacher on a single day, that changes the system. And, and you know, you're familiar with, you know, the butterfly effect, you know, the ripple effect. So you don't have to touch every teacher every week. The more feedback and coaching you can provide, I think the better. But remember, anytime you change any part of the system, you do change the whole system. I think that gives me a little more hope <laughs> as I look at my calendar and schedule. Uh, hopefully your, your group will, uh, will take it uh, as an encouragement too. That is such great advice. And I, again, I'm such a big fan and have a great end of the spring and the summer. I know you're going to be busy traveling, but thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And take good care. So that's a wrap on this episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Once again, a big thank you goes out to Mike Rutherford. Be sure to follow Mike on Twitter at RLG Mike and check out the Rutherford Learning Group website at RutherfordLG.com. As always, folks, I hope you can like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, give us that five-star rating, and leave a positive comment to help even more educators find the podcast as we continue the conversation on how to reimagine schools. We're back next week with another great episode. So until next time, folks, keep fighting for change in your school.